here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, I'm Taylor Bybee from Coaster Studios, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey guys, it's Logan from Thrills United, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Austin from Amusement Insider, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. This is Eric Time Mike from El Tor Ryan, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey kids, this is Ian from Theme Park Stop. You're listening to Coaster Challenge Podcast. Enjoy. Be nice to date. Awesome. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please, secure your hats and glasses, and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your hosts, Kim Dykes. Good evening, this is Kim, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast, and I am excited to talk with a brand new guest today. I'm very happy to welcome Jason Pennypacker, a media producer in the business of filming roller coasters. Jason recently had the honor of having his work displayed at IAPA and is known on social media and YouTube as New Jersey Coasters. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the podcast, Jason. Great to be here. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic and so excited to finally get to talk with you person to person. While we have connected somewhat through social media, this is our first time talking in person, so I'd like to start with you telling us some things about yourself. The floor is all yours. Take it away. Well, uh, I love roller coasters, and I started adoring them back in 2017, Um, But roller coasters isn't my only hobby. As a child, I was a big fan of railroading. So uh, kind of roller coasters is pretty much just a fast train, my mom always says. And I'm also big in the Broadway. That is the first time I've heard roller coasters connected to trains, and I absolutely love it. And I'll share a little bit about my background with you as well. Speaking of Broadway, my bachelor's degree is in music education i was a trumpet player from fifth grade all the way through college and beyond i actually had the audition worked up i almost majored in trumpet performance for for my master's at the cincinnati conservatory of music and um just decided at the last minute to go more the teaching route instead so i taught band for five years, which led me to figure out that I liked working with elementary kids. And at the time in my district, they weren't hiring music teachers. They were only hiring arts and humanities. So if you took an elementary position, you had to be willing to learn to teach art, you know, drama, the whole nine yards. So I have been actually since 2004 in the same school now for 19 years 
it started out as arts and humanities. I now teach art and drama, and I have uh, directed some musicals as well. <laughs> Which ones, if you don't mind me asking? Also, and, I don't, I don't want to make yeah. you feel old, but you've been in that school as long as I've been on this planet. <laughs> there you go. I'm the gift that keeps on giving. I keep telling them I'm going to be there till they kick me out or I retire. <laughs> one of the two. Um, I've been teaching for 24 years, actually. So, but my favorite one that we did was Annie. Now, COVID kind of put a stop to that and I lost my assistant. So we haven't done it in a couple of years. But if I can get enough people rounded up, we may give it another go. So the first part of our interview is going to start out in the roller coaster time capsule, per se. We're going to go back in time with your history of riding coasters. So... I'd like to begin with you telling us what your first coaster was. First coaster was probably about 2007 um, at a park called Storybook Land in uh, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey. It's a park that I have very close and near to my heart as every year as a child I went there. Uh, but I didn't ride the roller coaster after one time only. Um, I was three or four and I rode it with my mother. And she, uh, it's an old school ENF, so it had the two like the full one bar for both passengers. Mm -hmm. So uh, she almost like slid into me and slammed me against the wall. And that pretty much, I was scared for the rest of my life to ride any roller coasters. It was like, kind of like PTSD. I almost got squished by my own mother on like a 15 foot ride. And as a child, every time we'd go there, I'd just look at it and I would tell my mother, I don't want to go on it. And I would go to different places like Great Adventure. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't ride anything but like oh a kitty flat ride. Wow. So I've never heard of that park. Is it still operating? Yes, it is. They are actually still family owned on their third generation. And they are over uh, 60 years. I'm going to have to look. They have... They have the best Christmas event. They have been on the Great Christmas Light Fight. They have like 2 million lights and like only like 20 acres. They're uh, great. I go there every year at this point. I'm going to have to look that one up on RCDB. <laughs> I had it to my list of my drips. They're sure. opening a new coaster this this year. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, SBF Visa. How many color coasters do they have? They have had one for this whole time called Bubbles, and it's been mm -hmm. an ENF miler operated for 20 years, and now they're adding another one. Interesting. But it's very, it's the only like theme park in our state. That story you just told reminded me of the ride that I had with my son this past summer. We rode Phoenix up at Knobles for the first time. That thing literally threw me up over the divider and i almost landed in his lap <laughs> when i ride that i have to like when we go up i have to reposition myself uh -huh. so i land correctly because i have a i have thick thighs and uh -huh. i will just land on one of my thighs in the divider and it hurts like Ouch. hell so i uh -huh. before we're coming back down i have to like shift over mm -hmm. i was honestly underwhelmed by that coaster i called it my anticipation of 2022 overall i thought it was just kind of meh but it was completely shocking caught me totally off guard because the coaster was just kind of so slow and just kind of cruising along when it shot me up out of seat like that i literally thought at one point i was going to go over 
front of the front car a lot at one point. Yeah, it's not my favorite at Knobles. I prefer Twister. No, I do too. Okay, so continuing on in the roller coaster time capsule, we all have those stories of coasters that have scared us. I mean, you just talked first coaster you were scared you for a long time. What was the coaster that has scared you more than any of the rest? Well, I started becoming an enthusiast in 2017, and I didn't ride King to Ka, which is at my home park, Six Flags Great Adventure, until 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of made it a goal for my followers. If I hit a 1,000 on YouTube, mm-hmm. I would ride it. And I yeah. thought, I'll never hit that. And then in two years, I did, and I had to do it. And I actually have my photo here in my office uh, from my first ride. I was pretty much petrified the whole way about to cry. When we launched, I threw my hands up and started saying curse words like blank, yeah, blank, yeah. <laughs> Great. I, I, and then I wrote it eight more times that day, and now awesome. I've written it like a hundred. Yes. And, um, you know, I actually wrote Key to Call for the first time back in July when we went to Six Flags Great Adventure for the first time. I also got my 300th on El Toro that trip. And my son got open. his, yes, it was open. And um, lucky me, I love that coaster. But uh, my son got his 300th on Jersey Devil, that trip as well. And the thing that floored me about our rides on Kinda Call, I had experienced Top Thrill Dragster. And I honestly thought, you know, like my first ride on Dragster, that I would, at some point, fear would kick in. It didn't. I put my hands up on the launch the very first time, kept my hands up on every single one of our rides. I think we had about 10 rides that trip on King to Call. And it was just like, wow, when did this happen? <laughs> you know, where did the fear go? And when, you know, when's the fear gonna kick in next? Though Adrenaline. I think Yes, I do think, though, I got my answer to that question in one of my previous interviews. Um, One of our guests told me that he blacked out on X2, like literally blacked out on the drop. And I don't. Spinning and me do not have a great relationship. (laughs) And he said he literally dropped like head down. I don't know if you've written X2 yet. I have not. Hopefully in two months. He said he literally dropped head down on the drop. And he he blacked out almost the entire trip, uh, uh, almost the entire course of the ride. Like the ride ops had to come and tell him that it was time to exit the ride. And I'm like, holy crap. That's why I'm not looking forward to Intimidator 305. <laughs> oh, now, Intimidator 305, I'm a fan of. I have to say. Now, there is, I wrote that. Now, I'm one of those. If I can marathon a coaster, if I can learn to ride a coaster to the point where I want to marathon, I, I mean, it's like, I welcome the challenge. I want to see, you know, if I can ad- develop an appreciation for even the, you know, the coasters that you have to learn how to ride. I marathoned Intimidator 305 32 times last visit. It I t- did 17 rides took a meal break, went and got 14 rounds on Twisted Timbers and then went back 
and was able to get 14 more on Intimidator 305 that night. And I just, I had to figure out a system. There is that spot, you know, where you're going to hit that gray out slash blackout every single time. I mean, it's inevitable. I don't care where you're sitting. I would just stare at the airtime hill, keep my eyes fixated on the airtime hill. It was a very hard gray out. And just keep blinking my eyes, and I knew exactly when my vision would come back. <laughs> Clearly. But it says, stay very hydrated. Stare, stay very hydrated. Move with the ride. You know, very, that's one you've got to move very forcefully with, at least for me. And, uh, but I love the thing. I personally still like Fury a little bit better. Fury's just easier. It's not as much of a challenge, per se. But Intimidator 305 is still my number 10. It's one heck of a coaster, but yeah, X2 right now is only the only one that I'm actually nervous about. Have you ridden uh, the ride behind me, Gale Force? No. That's a ride you also have to ride very defensively. Uh, uh, I, I've done film shoots on it with friends, uh, and most people that like say they can marathon Intimidator 305 and King the Ka have to tap out like halfway through like five rides because it's mm. it's uh it has a very hard shuffle so uh -huh. it feels actually more intense than it actually is and it's already okay. going way too fast for its structure so it throws you yeah. every which way it's it's great you gotta ride that <laughs> that's what i'm gonna have the list i've even, i can manage to, even on hades have you ridden hades 360 Good. I've ridden the world's roughest wooden coaster, though, which is in New Jersey, and it's terrible. Never ride it. Which one is that? Hellcat at Clementon Park. It has Boy. barely been maintained since 2004 to, like, the bare minimum. Ouch. And the back two rows are blocked off now with the new management because it's oh, that wow. bad. And it they still run that spine. thing? It just barely passes inspection every year. <laughs> I've ridden coasters before where you could see through the floor. But that sounds like it's like all other this, the that. whole ride. There's a there's a pothole on the bottom of the first drop where you see the whole train bounce up like a foot. <laughs> it's great. That's, like that sounds even worse than Pegasus at Mount Olympus. Well, <laughs> no one could get any worse than that. Mount Olympus probably does more maintenance than this park did. Oh wow. I didn't know there was such a thing as less. Sounds like a one. Sounds like that's got one and done written all over it. But yeah, even Hades 360, I can pull five or six rides in a day out of that one. And I can't probably shouldn't do it anymore. Or I'm going to wind up with a bad headache. But yeah, um, if it's a one and done for me, it's it has to be really really bad. So going back to that scariest coaster ever do you remember how you were feeling when you approached the station i was ready to piss my pants like it was very close to saying effort and running away back to uh -huh. uh, a better ride like el toro uh, mm -hmm. because it's 400 feet tall it, yeah. it's like no no thank you at first i was like if this thing falls i die which <laughs> i know now that's never going to happen. No. I'll tell you what, though. I will say this. We were lucky enough 
when we were writing Zoom and Jaro. Yes, it we, dueled. We, it dueled. And you're going to talk about it thinking. I mean, I didn't it's scary. Think it. it didn't scare me. It more like, what the hell is that? I was on the outside edge sheet of Zoom and Jaro. That thing came up. I mean, we were we were up at the top. Everybody else is up there screaming, and my son and I are like, send it, send it. We saw the train get ready to come. Come on, bring it. And you could feel that entire structure vibrating like crazy. <laughs> and to see it fly up over your head, the whole train of came to call. And hear that roar and look down and see the train just flying down right beside me. That is, for me, because you know, I live in Kentucky, that may have been a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It was something I will never forget. But I've yes. had the opportunity to do that as well. And, uh-huh. yeah, the shake is just, like, you, like the tower moves, like, two to three feet. When it you're is. falling, you can feel yourself <laughs> shifting back and yes. forth. It's just, it's un, it's unnerving, but that's what makes it so fun. Yes, but, I mean, you literally... If there's any fear in there, in your mind at all, you would think the whole thing is just going to come tumbling straight down to the ground. It's absolutely incredible. I loved it. We were pretty hyped about that for probably at least a good 30 minutes after that ride. That was a ton of fun. So when you got off of Keen to Call for the first time, how are you feeling? Did you immediately want to do it again? Did you need to go take a break? What were your thoughts? Well, once I hit the launch straight, I pretty much loved it. I did ride it again afterwards. Like I pretty much like wanted to ride it again immediately. And I mm-hmm. rode my first time. I think it was I think it was front row. So yeah. I was like, let's go again. That's awesome. And for me, I don't know. I think that's why. I wasn't scared on King to call and I thought I would be is over time. I think I've just somehow gotten desensitized. I've gotten used to the forces and that sort of thing. And um, things that I think I'm going to be scared of when I'm actually in the moment, I'm not afraid of anymore. And if I am afraid, like I was on dragster at first, I'll ride it again and again and again until I'm not. It's kind of like a challenge versus though, if there's a coaster I just don't enjoy, that'll be a one and done. You know, it's not a fear thing. It's just, I wrote it. I did it. I didn't like it. I'm not going to do that again. Understandable. I've had a few of those. So how many times did you ride King to call that first day? Six, seven, eight times. Okay. I wish I had a picture of us on that coaster. That would be awesome. Would you I say have a picture that... of like every first ride I've ever had right over here. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Do you have on like a wall or something? Yeah. It's right behind my computer. Oh, I'd love to see that. Just send me a picture. I've got a ton of coaster collectibles. That's a whole other story that could be a whole interview in and of itself. So I'll spare you that. <laughs> Save it for another time. So after those rides on call the first time, that first day, what impacts did it have on your life? Did it impact your life immediately? Some say that it does immediately after. Sometimes it takes a while. 
Well, I knew I'd never be scared of anything ever again, which I haven't been. I'll never do stuff at the top of the stratosphere ever. That's the only thing. But everything else, I'm fine with. I did the uh, right after King of Kai. I finally rode like tall star flyers. Got to experience okay. what that's like. It, it it helped open up like a whole different category for me because before I wouldn't ride anything over like Nitro's height. I was like, nope. So why is it you say you won't ride? The stuff in Vegas, but you'll ride everything else. I don't trust Vegas maintenance. That and the rides, like the actual types, I don't, I don't trust them. So you just don't think there's as much inspecting going on and that sort of thing. Yeah, to keep them safe. That's understandable. It was easy to understand what scared you about a call. I mean, the size, the height, the speed, everything. But I've not been to Vegas myself, and I've heard. Mixed reviews. Yeah, same. Especially with, um, sadly, what happened at El El Loco. So, like, I just don't, I don't trust Vegas. Like, there's few places I don't trust, and Vegas is like. Now, I didn't hear the story of what happened at El Loco. I think it was last year. A lady fell out. Oh, and died. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. I didn't see that. I mean, the stuff from Icon Park was all over. Yeah social media i don't know how that story from al loco didn't get out further than that because that's usually that type of thing is usually shared here there and everywhere oh it was 2019 sorry um oh okay that yes i didn't become an enthusiast till 2019 so i'm sure that's how i missed that i'm sure because i didn't really follow coaster stuff or anything until i think i started follow i started following that a lot more in 2020. So looking back through the roller coaster time capsule, we've all had our share of these unexpected, crazy moments. What has been your absolute craziest moment ever in an amusement park or on a coaster? Phantom's Revenge, my first ride on that ride. Um, if there's any coaster that is uh, trying to kill you, it is Phantom's Revenge. Its airtime is probably the most extreme on any ride. We, we we enthusiasts like to say RMC is like the pinnacle. But something has to be said about how Phantom's Revenge has airtime using aero chassis, which used to be for inversions. And it throws the train up so high, there's like half a foot gap between the wheels. I have a POV of myself from camera glasses. Don't do that anymore, people. Um, <laughs> from uh, 2018 when I first wrote it. And I literally hit the first airtime hill and was like, what? What's that? Like this, like a foot out of your seat? How is that safe? And that was the uh, day before I went to Knobles and experienced Phoenix. So it was like my first real, like, especially how Phantom's Revenge has barely any restraint. Like, it's just like a little bar that goes over your thighs. The seatbelt's okay. really what's keeping you safe. That's very interesting because I've not ridden Phantom's Revenge yet. And I've never viewed the seatbelts as a safety measure. They're there to make people think they're safe. But my thought has always been, you know, if I'm... I don't know the height of Phantom's Revenge. It's... But, uh. 
120 feet, but it has the 200 foot drop in the ravine. Yeah, if I'm like 200 feet in the air, see, and if I go to that restraint comes undone, that seatbelt's not going to hold me in. You seem to think it actually will. They, they, they actually have a, it's like a, it's like, it's hard to get undone the seatbelts. They're like, cause like the restraint literally sits on the middle of your thigh. It's uh -huh. not on your lap. It's not by your stomach. So okay. like, and it, and it's like probably about half, like a one fourth foot above your thigh. You barely touch that pretty much the whole ride. The seatbelt's keeping you in your seat. You don't touch the restraint at all. It's very strange. So it's, it's, it's like a, like a buzz bar on a steel coaster. It's not a painful airtime then is it no it's it it, it, it hurts it when you those, slam though, back you in your seat okay so it could okay so it could get your back possibly because it it has padding just plastic it's like plastic with a little padding it's like it's like steel force and mamba's train okay, okay. seats but on a ride that goes like 92 miles an hour so oh, wow. <laughs> all the time I, I remember painful ejector like that that hit the back like that was on Goliath that over Georgia, you know, that ejector park that it's got in the back row. All I mean, it did. My daughter only rode once and she wouldn't ride again the rest of the day because it hurt her back so badly just when she slammed down the seat like that. So, Phantom, I, Phantom it's better. It, it, it hurts your tush, but it doesn't hurt your back. Okay. That's that one now has me intrigued. It, now, is it one of those that you would need to hold on to help get, keep body control or not? Well, I didn't have to, but if you want to feel safer, I would hold on to a restraint because okay. it will, it, it is very intense. I hardly ever hold on on any coaster. <laughs> on your first ride, you may want to until you understand. Yeah, okay, that's a good, that's a good note taken. I think I might at least keep my hands somewhat close. <laughs> To holding on if I need to be able to do that real fast. Just until I figure the ride out. Do you count your coaster credits? Yes, I do. How many credits do you have? Exactly 200 currently. I hit my 200th in December at Six Flags Over Texas. And what was it? Uh, Runaway Mine Train. It was going to be Freeze, but Freeze didn't open the whole day I was there. Okay. So I just I it, I was decided to make it the world's first aeromine train. That was the last two credits I needed. Cool. My two hundredth. I'm at I'm at three fifty five right now until our spring break trip comes up in April when I start getting to travel and riding for the first time this year. My two hundredth was Velocicoaster down Islands of Adventure, and that was actually at a meetup that our podcast had it was before i joined the podcast it was after we my family and i were guests on the podcast there was a meetup down at islands of adventure and we had to wrangle some things to make this happen but my son because my son and i are actually a few credits apart but because we were in the area and could go back places we kind of took turns with some coasters we hit 200 at the same time on Velocicoaster. So that was a very memorable day for the both of us. That was back in October of 2021. And it's crazy to think that I hit 300 on Toro 
this past July. Yeah, the last year I had 145 credits in one year. I don't know how in the world I managed to pull that off. I don't know that that many is going to happen this year. Time will tell. I always think I know what coasters I'm going to ride, how many credits I'm going to get, and then there's just all these little unexpected places I wind up <laughs> on a whim. Get messages from people and different stuff when I'm traveling. There was literally a coaster credit when we were at, uh, it was my Labor Day weekend trip last year. We were in Illinois. And literally, like, the night before we left town to head home, I got this message. said, hey, there's this fair. There's a coaster credit. And I said, what's the name of the fair? And I Googled it. It was literally 10 minutes from the hotel. <laughs> I mean, so we stopped there on the way out of town and rode this wacky worm. And uh, this stuff just kind of happens to me all the time. I don't know how I wind up the places I wind up with these crazy credits I wind up getting. But um, it's going to be real fun because I said technically this year, it's possible. I don't know if it's actually going to happen. But if I were to get 145 credits again this year, I would hit 400 and 500 in the same year. Damn. I think it's, it's probably highly unlikely, but I don't know. Stranger things have happened. That's all I can say. So out of your 200 credits... What is your number one favorite, greatest of all time coaster? It's a tie between Phantom's Revenge and Iron Gwazi. Iron Gwazi, that's my goat coaster. Tell and me then, what you love about these coasters. Well, I think I adore rides that feel like that are unique and feel like uh, you're going to die. Because um, my top, my top five is Iron Gwazi, Phantom's Revenge, El Toro. Time Traveler yes. and Gale Force. So like I haven't ridden Gale like, Force. But they're all smooth. Mm -hmm. They're all intense and they all have lots of airtime. So it kind of it kind of yes. balances out. Have you ridden Voyage? I have not. Oh you've gotta to come to Holiday World. That's like an hour and fifteen minutes from my house. And um, I'm actually going to be attending Hollywood Nights this year for the fourth year in a row. But I go to Holiday World a couple of times a year anyway, even when it's not Hollywood Nights. But Voyage is, Iron Gloves is my number one. Voyage is my number two. Because of everything you just described. And I'll tell you, Iron Gwazi and Voyage, for me, they're in a league of their own. They are the only two coasters that I ride that will consistently get me out of breath. Like, I literally feel like I've been running a marathon, <laughs> you know, at the that, end of the ride. That's me and with El Toro. <laughs> El Toro, it is my number six. It doesn't get me out of breath. See, El Toro... El Toro's 12 minutes from me and I've I've marathoned it like 50 times in a row in like an hour and that that thing does it can beat you up. It does. Yeah, I could definitely see that. 
Voids is one too. You got to know how to write it. And that, but to me, that's one of the reasons I love it is because I finally feel like it took me a few years to master the art. I consider an art form, master the art of writing voyage, you know, to where I can write it over and over again. And I love it. And it's one of the reasons that I stay motivated to stay in good physical shape so that it doesn't beat me up. It's not painful anymore, you know, and I, I can handle the airtime. And uh, it's one of the things I live for. Time Traveler, too. It's currently my number nine, but I haven't had night rides on it. I'm planning on revisiting Silver Dollar City this year because back when I went for the first time in 2021, the park was still closing early. So I didn't get night rides on Time Traveler. I haven't so. been there since 2019. I need to go back. I'm really excited. And I'll tell you, speaking of time travel, if you love that one, our executive producer, Andrew, he has recently been to uh, Europe. Ride, of happiness. ride to happiness. Got to ride Ride to Happiness like 20 times. There was literally no line for the thing. And he says time travel is like a kitty coaster compared to Ride to Happiness. He said that they, you know, right. Time Traveler has that control spin. They took the magnet off, apparently, on Ride to Happiness, and they didn't put it back on. So I like no the controlled spin. I like <laughs> the controlled spin. I've heard, but everybody, he, he said that this thing is like time travel on steroids. Well, to and Europe, I've heard that they don't other. care. Yeah. So it definitely, that, that one's on my bucket list for sure, because I love Time Traveler. But me with the spinning, I just don't know exactly how fast this spin is on a ride to happiness. It could go either way, but I want to find out because just I love time travel so much. And um, that's just a coaster I can't wait to experience. So, Phantom's Revenge and Iron Gwazi are your number one greatest of all time coasters. Out of those 200 credits, I'm sure most of us have a few one and dones. What is your least favorite coaster you've experienced? I think I have this actually written down because I have, I'm very bad at memory, me remembering things. Okay. I'll be 100% honest. Here, let's go to my. That's completely fine. If I don't write things down, it'll remain a thought I, that once happened and then just forever disappeared to the abyss of good intentions. I have my, I have my whole credit list on my notes app. Um, and at awesome. the bottom, I have like my top 40 and then, ah, worst top five worst coasters. So number one, of course, is Hellcat at Clementson Park. Mm -hmm. Number two would be uh, Wildcat at Lake Compounds. Okay. Number three was Wildcat at Hershey Park. I just wrote that one last year. Hmm. Before least favorite roller coaster, probably uh, Firebird at Six Flags America. I think their SLC is smoother. Um, oh gosh, that may, I've not been to Six Flags America yet. I haven't heard anything great about the. Park. I like the park, I but like saying it. that an SLC is smooth. I like really SLCs. Just, I don't. I I tear it all not, down tomorrow, and I'd be thrilled. I've not ridden a single SLC that I can't enjoy. I wow. find I I've ridden two mind erasers, um, 
then Riddler's Revenge and Great Nor'easter. And Great Nor'easter, of course, is the best. It's the smoothest. It got retracked. Um, but my second favorite one is Darien Lakes. Six Flags Darien Lakes literally ha- is the weirdest one. It is one train that is two trains put together. You can see the red and blue bodies like, like a Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It's fast. It has the stupid over-the-shoulder restraints, but it's not that rough. Like it, it's it, it's shaking. Your head around. Just put your head forward and just How ride defensively. Uh, six one. That okay. I'm five three. Okay. So even the put your head forward thing. It's the restraints are normally these, here on me, so I can okay. just okay. Even the put your head forward for me. I literally feel like a turtle. Trying to stretch stretch its head as far as it'll go out of shell. And it's painful to hold my neck that hard. And sometimes it'll still box my ears. So I I can get the why you would enjoy them more being significantly taller. Because this is not the first conversation I've had. Not just about SLCs, but about over-the-shoulder restraints in general which I'm just not a fan of because even if they don't beat my head around, I have to hold on and put my head back so it doesn't beat my head around. And the fact that I have to hold on gets on my nerves because I like, you know, to just let go and be free. And taller people don't have that issue. My top 25 has two aerodynamics loopers. I'm a big fan of aero loopers. Lockness and Viper at Six Flags Darien Lake. And they throw you around, but the res- this over the shoulder restraints literally sit on my shoulder, so I don't have to deal with anything. It's you just know, fun. Demon at Six Flags Great America had a different over the shoulder restraint, which wasn't so thick and boxy. And I actually rode that one several times when we went back in the fall, and I did. I like it. I like arrow loopers. They're they're underrated. They they they've actually probably aged some of the best. Like rides like they've been the same over their age they've always been somewhat rough (laughs) i would disagree with that i rode vortex at king's island back when it was in its prime and i don't know if it was just because i got older but it was a whole different ride those last few years it darn well near gave me a migraine every single time i got on it i'm friends with a lot of Arrow lovers and they all mm-hmm. thought Vortex was like the best ride ever. So <laughs> I guess it's the me, height thing, probably. Let me guess, they're all tall. Yeah. So you told me your um told me your top four, or should I say bottom four, worst coasters. What was the fifth one? I'm curious. I don't know. Like I'd have to think. I've not ridden see, I've ridden bad rides, but I don't like hate anything beside like the main ones right i hate yeah i hate wacky worms in general you're tall there you go yeah i, I hate all the zamperla family gravities they are the worst rides ever built uh because all the parks make you sit on one side of the t-bar and my knees are so high up the restraint uh-huh. literally ha- pushes over my knees to get in and when the restraint comes back up i normally get stuck yeah i think one of the most painful rides I had, speaking of height, you know, I told you I'm only 5'3". When we took that Labor Day weekend trip back in September, 
the kitty credit at Grady's in Illinois. I didn't even think they would let us ride. I've never seen a coaster this small in my entire life. But I won't leave credits on the table. If it's possible to ride it, if they'll let me ride, I'm going to ride. Even if it's just once, I'm going to ride. I had to sit sideways <laughs> just to get in. And they took that thing around like 20 times. It was excruciating. It I've done bruised, that once. Yeah, it bruised my shins. It left a bruise on my son's back. Oh, um, it was awful. When I went to the New Jersey State Fair, they had a thing called a Go Gator, which is a triangle-shaped layout dragon wagon. And the area to sit is, like, barely enough for kids. So okay. we were filming, and the guys were like, hey, you should get a POV of this. So uh, me and three other friends all sat with our legs hanging out sideways off the ride. Oh and goodness. it sent around like tw 12 times. And it feels like five miles an hour. We're just sitting there yeah. like, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> like, like, I have the credit. It, it's very rare. But like we were just hanging our legs over the side like, why? Why are we doing this? It's like, what's the point? Just because it's a power you coaster. Like, I don't know what I get out of those quirky little coasters that are like that. I literally, when I rode that coaster at Grady's, I was in so much pain, I was laughing like a hyena the whole ride, just because I didn't really know what else to do. It was so ridiculous. But it's my odd method of stress relief, I guess some could call it. So I know when we chatted via Instagram, this was a first for me. You told me that you have a love of boardwalk parks. I've never had a guest that's had an interest in boardwalk parks or even mentioned those to me. I'm curious, what are your favorite boardwalk parks you have visited? And what have you loved about them? Well, I have every credit in the state of New Jersey. And that means I've been to all, I think, seven of our boardwalk parks, which that's kind of why I love them. Uh, like the Jersey Shore, we have lots of boardwalks. I've been to the worst parks and the best parks in the Jersey Shore. Um, the best would be Maurice Piers, of course. And pretty much tied with it would be Playland's Castaway Cove in Ocean City. Both are very well run by two families. And they both have different aspects that's better. Maurice is spread out. You have to walk like 12 minutes in between each pier to get to them. I love boardwalk parks because the views you get are like unbeatable. When you go down the drop of Great White or Great Nor'easter or go around the element on Gale Force, you see the ocean. My first ride on Hydrus, which was my first inverting coaster at Casino Pier, I saw a dolphin jump in the ocean right in front of me right as I'm about to go down the drop. You can't beat it. It's, it's beautiful. And I love I love taking photos of the beach, so it like matches perfectly. That's something I did not get to experience on our trip back in July. That was my first time coming to the East Coast. I didn't get to have time to go to any of the boardwalk parks. So that is definitely something on a return trip I'm planning on doing. How much time would you recommend you know for someone that's never visited these parks how much time would you need to ride all of the coasters 
So and like Morris Piers, for example. Most parks, better boardwalk parks, don't even open until 12 p.m. in the day, but they close at like 12 a.m. So the best option would be to start all the way up at the top of the state uh, at Keensburg and work your way down. You'll probably need an hour at Keensburg. Then it's about two hours to Jakinson's. Um, Jakinson's you'll probably need about 45 minutes. They have two credits. Mm-hmm. Then you have to drive 20 minutes down to Seaside Heights. Um, that has four credits. They'll probably take about two hours. You can get a two-hour wristband there for like $45. You keep driving. You go to... You go to um, Atlantic City, which is the worst one in my opinion. I've been to Keensburg, and I thought that was bad. Atlantic mm-hmm. City is terrible, but they currently only have one credit, so that'll take you like 20 minutes. Just mo- best option for Atlantic City not to pay for parking is you go with someone that doesn't like roller coasters, and they just drive around the neighborhood for like 10 minutes while you ride <laughs> the coaster, and then you leave. Uh, and then Ocean City and Maury's is where you want to spend most of your time. Ocean City has two parks. Um, and they have one park with a dra- with a uh, like a dragon wagon and wacky worm. That'll take you like ten minutes. Yeah. And then um, uh, Playlands has like four uh, four coasters, but they have also some good flat rides. Mm-hmm. They have a uh, they have a flat ride that's kind of like a Gerslauer Skyfly, but it's from Technical Park, so it actually goes like an Enterprise, but you get to do the wings to flip upside down. It's very fun. And then Maury's Piers, you'll probably need about five hours. So Morris Pairs are going to be quite a bit longer. But you said Morris, you can walk. You said though you can walk from place to place. Uh, not 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 only at Morris, yes, Morris, yeah. Okay. Uh, all the you have to piers are, the other parks. All the piers, yeah. Morris, there's a uh, there's a tram that goes down the boardwalk because it's that big. But okay. if you want to get from the center pier to the pier with the SLC, it's like a 15 minute walk, mm-hmm. and then. If you go from the center pier to the pier with great white, that's like a 10 minute walk. And I'm horrible and, with directions. Are there people that are like, that can help you? You'll see them. They're like from place to place. It's just one long boardwalk and there's a pier jutting out one way, another pier further down and another pier the other way. Okay. You can see them. They go out on the uh, beach. Okay. Maurice gets very popular at night. So, Sometimes you may have to wait like 20, 30 minutes for a ride, but they're very good with operations there because actually boardwalk parks mostly have to have good operations Mm because they're in a pay per ride. And the more people they get through actually is the more money they make. And what do they generally charge average per ride? Maurice Piers is the most expensive. They are uh, either, they're either like $15 or less per coaster, or you can spend $80 for the day for a wristband. Okay. Playlands, Castaway Cove, Gale Force is $10 for a single ride. All their other rides are like $5, $4. And uh, Casino Pier Hydrus is also $10. That's overpriced. Just buy like a $20, $40 wristband because then you mm-hmm. can go on everything. It's like $150 for the whole day for all the boardwalk parks, but there's like 20 something credits. Okay. Yeah. Because that was going to be my next question was approximately how many credits are there between all these places it's really trying, not horrible let's see Consider i'm trying to see the exact amount of credits there is about 21 credits that is obtainable okay. yeah it's a lot well, i appreciate you sharing that with me because boardwalk parks are not anything that i've gotten to experience as of yet i mean you would surely think out of all the coasters i've ridden i would have experienced that at some point not yet 
but that is definitely something I want to do in the future. There's another boardwalk too down there. It's the next time we go to Carolyn's. I want to try to get to that one. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but that's one I'm wanting to go ride as well. Do you have any bucket list boardwalk parks that you haven't experienced yet that you still want to go to? All the other ones I know about either have like an old school wooden coaster or like a terrible Fenfari. Mm -hmm. Jersey's where most like the big boardwalk roller coasters are, but... Okay. Um, I have not been to Coney Island, which is the only other one I actually want to go to because I want to ride the cyclone. Yeah, that's one I haven't been to yet either. I'm hoping to take a Northeast trip this year and tap into that area. I haven't really worked out the logistics yet to see if there will be time to get there. But gosh, I mean, there are so many coasters to be ridden on the East Coast. It's insane. I don't know how many trips it's going to take <laughs> for me to New finally get to ride everything, if that'll ever even happen. New Jersey alone has over 50 roller coasters, mm -hmm. and a, a little less than half of those are just on the shore. So, Yeah. I mean, the last trip we took, it was our first trip to the East Coast, we did Six Flags Great Adventure, Hershey Park, Dutch Wonderland, we did Dorney, we did Knobles, we went up to Nick Uverse, um, Sesame Place, went there. Good parks. Yeah, but I mean, that was, and I mean, and not, not to just ride the coasters. When you go to Six Flags Great Adventure, you want to be there enough time, you know, to really experience the park. And, of course, ride the best coasters a number of times. And, you know, the same with Hershey Park and that sort of thing. I don't just want to be, you know, in and out, get coaster credits and leave. Because I want to be able to remember the experience. You know, remember what the park was like. And really have a good memory of what riding my favorite coasters was like. Because if I just ride once or twice, it doesn't fully sink in. Yeah. I need to ride enough times to where it, I'm going to retain the memory of the experience of that ride, you know, before going on to another place. So that was one heck of a trip. But I mean, that was a solid week by itself right there. And I'm like, we, we spent this much time just in this area. Look at all of these other coasters. <laughs> there are to be ridden. That's going to be something I think that's going to take a number of years. To really fully get to experience everything. This year I'm hoping to get to Canada's Wonderland and go to Kennywood. I've not been there. Um, possibly Lake Compounds. Waldemere. While we're up there, depending on time. It's, you know, with how much time I get. Possibly, you know, Six Flags, Darien Lake or something like that. I'm just not sure yet you know, what the logistics of that trip is going to look like and how much, you know, versus how much time we're going to have. But the nice thing is it's a hobby. It's always going to be there to do. And you don't want to run out of places to go. Or to me, it wouldn't be as fun. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to run out of places to go though anytime soon. I've still got Europe on my bucket list and that's not going to happen for 
a few years, at least, and my kids have burned. I haven't been to California yet either. And that's definitely on the list along with a number of other places. So you are best known through social media and the internet as a media producer. Tell me more about your business as a media producer and the history of New Jersey coasters. How did you get started? How long have you been doing this? So the company side since 2019 and the actual like Instagram and YouTube since 2017. Okay. How many followers are you up to now? Subscribers? YouTube's like 3.4 thousand. TikTok's 20,000. Instagram's almost 37,000. Yeah. So you've got a big following on Instagram. Yes. Very impressive. What do you feel like has made you successful? That's a hard question. I just like sharing what I do. And I feel like people connect to just seeing like rides in their raw format instead of like some highly elaborate edit or something. I -hmm. post POVs as reels with just music behind it, but it's stuff Mm -hmm. I filmed myself. I'm not just like taking someone's YouTube content and re-uploading it. Mm -hmm. So it feels more genuine. And that's something I've discovered, you know, through podcasting and stuff too. People like stuff they can connect with, you know, just on a person to person basis. You're just a guy out there, you know, making videos, having fun, (laughs) not anything, you know, too fancy or too elaborate. You're just being yourself and you're doing a darn good job at it. Um, What suggestions? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that seek out to get into media production and that sort of thing. What suggestions would you have for those people who are trying to get started on their own journey in this industry? Be yourself. Don't like, don't act like and try and copy other people's content. Take inspiration, but make your own spin on it. Um, And always make sure to try and make what you think is the best, even if people don't love it. You'll see that sometimes you throw something at a wall and it doesn't stick. Keep trying. Don't give up. Don't just stick with one type of content. And if it doesn't work, continue because you don't know what to do. Figure out what works and then keep trying to innovate. For me, I always posted videos of like just roller coasters. And now I'm trying to do more commentary stuff on my uh, YouTube. And that has seemed to work. You never want to just stick to one thing because then people get bored and will move on. Change it up. Variety, but keep your personality at the forefront. Excellent advice. Thank you for sharing that. Now I'm going to ask you this. You told me through Instagram when we were talking that you saw your work on display at IAPA. Did you ever in a million years, when you started this whole journey of yours, imagine that such a thing was possible? Pretty much no. I started with working with uh, a boardwalk park, Jacobson's, and it was like a small scale shoot. I filmed at SBF Visa Spinner. And then like over the years, last year, I filmed the world's first or America's first, sorry, RES Rollerball. Um, and uh, that is a very unique 40 style roller coaster from Ride Engineers of Switzerland. And I had all 
on display all my work on their back wall at their IAPA booth. And I've also had a very good relationship with Zeer. I've created stuff on their uh, Wave Swingers and uh, their uh, Force One roller coasters. And I have mm-hmm. had uh, photos on display at IAPA of those as well, including in their promotional books. I have a few in my room. So when friends come over that I tell them about what I do, I pull out a book and point to the photos that are mine. Oh, wow. I'm sure that's fun. So what was the specific work that you had on display at IAPA? Um, so Rad Engineers Switzerland was their uh, rollerball small edition. Um, it's f- also Fireball at Adventureland Long Island. And okay. then um, Runaway Tram and the Wave Swinger at Maury's Piers. I've also provided uh, Verbolton content for them in the past as well. Oh my goodness, that is just <laughs> absolutely outstanding. How are you, I mean, I'm thinking about our listeners, you know, somebody that's listening to this interview right now going, wow, this would be like a dream of mine come true. How did you manage to get connected with these companies and get into the business? You know, not, you know, how did you transition from just, you know, making videos and the POVs and that sort of thing? into making this your life well in the beginning it was just me being a cocky teenager thinking i could do marketing better than a park they gave me a shot i realized i could and uh pretty much over the years i've tried to build up uh equipment using pretty much all the money i make off shoots reinvesting and eventually people saw that and contacted me it took like four years of just constantly trying to do the the small parks around me before I even was recognized as someone that could actually do this sort of thing. It pretty much was work, reinvest, work, reinvest until I knew I could actually do something. Okay. Because I, because like up until last year, I still, every time I sent a ride around, I was still uneasy if the restraint, if if the mount would come back safe or if the Mm -hmm. camera would fly off. Now, I know there are specific parks with specific rules, you know, when it comes to utilizing these cameras and that sort of thing, what are the proper channels that you go through, you know, to get permission to do this? I normally reach out to a park over email or one of their people in LinkedIn. We have insurance up to a million dollars in case anything goes wrong. And uh, we always use three to four points of contact on a ride. So if anything does happen, um my fit like it it has stability my favorite mounting method is a suction cup normally two with gaffing tape over it as a third um holder uh, in case one of them loses their suction which hasn't happened ever and then we also normally tie a string to one of the restraints as a tether well thank you for sharing that because you know there's a lot of people out there you'll see these you know youtube povs (laughs) stuff like that and it's like wow there's no way that person had permission to do that so thank you so much for educating myself and our audience um, on how to go about doing that properly if they choose to do so and how to be successful in the process of building their journey so you told me earlier in our intro that you have an interest in trains and Broadway. 
but those are your main areas of interest. What are some things that you enjoy with those hobbies? What are some highlights of it outside of your hobby of roller coasters? I adore rail fanning. I like ch- like going in a car, chasing a train down at each crossing and taking photos of it. I never thought I could even do anything like to showcase that. And then earlier last year, I made a separate Instagram account called New Jersey Railroads. And that how that now has 20,000 followers. So I guess I realized people like trains just as much as roller coasters. So I do both now. Well, now and I'm going to have much... to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> so I post videos of like a train going by and rail fans just love hearing whistles and hearing everything happen. Um, and Broadway, I go up to New York once or twice, in, like every month or so at this point. Mm-hmm. And I also uh, am friends with a few performers and shows. So yes. during curtain call, I take I have my camera which is the only time you're allowed to film. Um, and I normally get up close photos with my lenses of the actors at curtain call and they reshare them on social media. You know, I have a friend told me that he's a train chaser and that was the first time I'd ever heard of that. I didn't know there was an actual following for that. And now you're the second person. So yes, I am going to give, you said that's called New Jersey railroads. Yep. I'm going to give that page a follow after we conclude our interview because I'm definitely curious and sure that you have awesome footage to take a look at. I went to Broadway. I've been to New York once. It was on my senior trip in high school. Now, this will age me quite a bit, but I used to be a huge fan back in the day of Young and the Restless. And Michael Damien was on that soap opera for years, played a character, Danny Romilotti. I got to see him on Broadway as Joseph in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And that was, at that point in time, a dream come true for me, you know, to actually get to see him live like that and a performance that I will never forget. Um, And I told you about my history of trumpet playing one of the friends that i went to college with that has unfortunately passed away last year had sorry for your loss he was a trumpet player and played on broadway for several years and actually one of the teachers in my school building she was in new york in and out of broadway productions and was just really struggling to make a consistent income yeah that happens yeah some shows don't last some shows close some shows close before they recoup like upper set like one fourth of their budget um this the same thing happened with my trumpet player friend he was on and off of broadway for a long time and he just wanted something i guess more stable so he eventually went into instrument repair and giving private lessons and that sort of thing and there's a friend of my kids. She's a, she's graduating from high school this year. And she's talked about going into that as well. It's definitely something you have to have a passion for and yeah. a drive and not give up. I am a, I'm a big fan of Pasek and Paul, which Andrew, one of the producers of the podcast, also is. He mm-hmm. loves like The Greatest Showman and La La Land. I love The Greatest Showman. Um. See, I was obsessed since 2017 when the show Dear Evan Hansen came out. I listened yes, I've to, seen that one too. I've listened to uh, Waving Through Window like 
over like 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. And for my 18th birthday, I finally got to see it um, last pretty much almost a year ago, like over a year ago, by a few days for my first time it was my first show. And I've, I saw it five times before it closed. I was a little obsessed. You know, I am an avid 80s metal fan. But the one song that stands out to me that's like completely not anything that I typically listen to is This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. I absolutely love that song. <laughs> I know every word. I like rewrites of Starks too. I'm a big fan of that one. Those are a few of my, I guess you could call it a closet favorite. It's not something type of music that a lot of people associate we, me with just because the 80s metal music is my my fun music but um those are yeah, the, my favorites the songwriting duo who wrote greatest showman got their start on dear evan hansen which is why andrew actually a few months ago saw it and let me know and he went actually like a week before i saw it for oh. the last time because it was it closed back in september but it ran I for six know. years so it did it did well had a good run Okay, so we are down to our last three questions. And um, this next question is actually the first time I've asked this on our podcast. It's a new question we've added to our lineup. How would you like your family, friends, and colleagues to remember your life? What kind of legacy would you like to leave in this world? I'd like to be known as someone who's creative and I guess uh, whenever someone would push him down, because I've been pushed down a lot over the years, especially with drama, which I've, I've caused some and some other people have caused. Uh, I'd like to be known as someone that just kept picking themselves back up and trying it again. I never gave up. You and I have a lot in common. I'm sure we could have a whole other conversation about, when it comes to that, because that's pretty much been the story of my life. I mean, I was I battled with my weight off and on, back and forth most of my life. I was bullied a lot in school, which made me very, I guess the word is introverted or antisocial. For a long time, I never in a million years dreamt I would be where I am today, talking to people on a podcast and actually enjoying it. There was a mental illness in my family growing up, you know, that I had to deal with that left, you know, trauma and that sort of thing going into adulthood. I had to overcome, but, you know, it's just like I tell my son. He's 17 now. He has autism. Hard work doesn't quit, and hard work doesn't give up. End of story. When the going gets hard, we work hard. And that's exactly, you know, that's what you do. You pick yourself back up, you pull yourself back together, and each time, you come back better. And, you know, I get it, too, with the whole, like you said, drama thing. Family issues and that sort of thing off and on. Over the years have all shaped me in one way, shape, or form. But two, like I said, you know, my weight loss journey, that took me almost three years. And I'm at a level level of physical fitness now that I wasn't even at in high school. Not kidding you. And um, I was 
about 55 pounds heavier my senior year of high school than I am now. And nowhere near as strong or physically fit. And, you know, one of the things I have finally figured out how to do, and it's taken a long time, you know, when things are difficult, especially if you're, you know, angry or hurt, is to take that negativity, those negative feelings, and turn it into motivation to get even stronger mentally. And then for me, the physical part came after I got my head in the right place. It's just what keeps us getting better. And I felt like, well, I'm at a point in my life where I'm 47 years old. I'm not done yet. I feel like the second part of my life is just getting started. Just keep on keeping on and let those uh, negative experiences build you. Because I'm at a point now where I don't even feel like I've peaked. And I, I never thought was possible. Everything that's happening in my life right now. So I'm excited. And I'm excited for you too. Because I'm sure with all the awesome things you've already accomplished. That there's just even more to come. Now, a lot of people listen to our podcast because they're listening for inspiration. They're listening for motivation. They're listening for, you know, ideas on self-improvement and that sort of thing. What advice do you have for our listeners? If this can be about anything, any type of advice you'd like to give. Don't be afraid to stand out. And, uh, Again, like I always say this, and I, I sound like a broken record, but be yourself. Because in the beginning, I always tried acting like I was someone different. I'd either, I'd either copy someone or yeah. I'd act like I was like, like, let's say in the beginning, I kept, like, you think you're this person. You think you can be better than like a person, but you just have to know your limits and you have to know that you need to be who you are. And you need to be who you want to be. You can't fake everything through your life. I think that advice is absolutely perfect. That's something I did for a long time. I grew up in a really small town of like 10,000 people. Same and, Okay, so you're following me here. And there was a tremendous pressure to not stand out. You had to be like everybody else which for me led to a lot of bullying because I was never like anybody else to begin with. Same. So yeah, yeah it was pretty much hell for me <laughs> growing up off and on all the way through high school. And I was silenced. You know, I saw, I dealt with codependency up until after 40 years old. I mean, it was after I started riding coasters and stuff that I really was able to break past that fear of sacrificing myself to make other people happy. You know, keeping myself in a box, keeping my opinions quiet when sometimes they needed to be said. You know, just keep everybody happy. Fit in no matter what the cost to yourself. And it was after I started writing coasters, you know, and started really just not being afraid of things that I was able to successfully break that cycle. And, you know, it's still like a dark shadow. Every once in a while, it'll come back and things are hard for me. But it's a challenge that I'm now willing to face. And, you know, something else I did for a long time, you know, it wasn't just behaviors. 
That's how I looked. I dressed everything, you know, just fit in, don't stand out. I've got a whole bunch of coaster tattoos <laughs> that I've accumulated over the past year or so. And back in college, I used to, I used to love piercing. And when I got overweight, I went, I, I started wearing my hair down around my face because I was just self-conscious. I was trying to mask the double chin and stuff that I had. I just wasn't very confident. And so I eventually took the piercings out. And so then I was just like, what the heck? While I'm at this, I'm going to revive my love of piercings. You know, I'm comfortable, you know, like not hiding my face anymore. And slowly but surely, I don't even know how this happened, but it just kind of happened. This whole, it's a Fury and Orion color scheme has evolved through all these piercings that I have. So it's like a B&M Giga Jewelry collection now. And I am, this just started out as me having fun. That's all it did. And now, like, it's so weird because... I can literally be in amusement parks. Like I was at Six Flags Great Adventure and people recognize me that I've never met before. Like, Coaster Mom, is that you? I've always wanted to meet you. Can I take a picture? And I'm like, what in the world? And if nothing else, I get stopped and the tattoos and different things are just a fun conversation piece. <laughs> and um, the more I'm myself, the more fun life is. And I just, if people don't like it or if they have some sort of opinion about it, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. And the more I've come to accept it, the happier I am. So I just want to say, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to a, uh, I, I'm in a town with like 3,000 people. Uh -huh. My high school graduating class was like 70 kids. Yes. So I I experienced that as well. I always tried like whenever the trend would come on, like, you know, all the high school kids and all the people had to have those hydro flasks. I yeah. bought one. So I'd try and fit in. I'd mm. always wear I'd always wear the sweater, like the like the sweatshirts with the flannel over it, thinking that was cool. Mm. Now I work at a I work retail part time to help my college uh to help for college at a uh, Brooks brothers. And I love dressing preppy. That's always what I've liked. I like, yeah. I like, I like showing off with clothes. I love clothes, but in like high school, I never wanted to do that because then I'd, I'd like stand out and I don't mm -hmm. want to do that because then things happen. And, you know, and this is just started out as a fun thing for me too. Like I said, I'm an eighties child when they revived Rip Denim. I was in second heaven. So <laughs> I wear a ton of ribbed denim. And just over the past few months, I've developed this shoe collection of like the Converse. They've got these platforms and different stuff and all I have different Converse. Colors. Okay. And I've actually had, not, of course, you know, not many people, but you know, like, those shoes look like they're for a 16-year-old. And I'm like, you know what? Between, so what? That, between that and my music I listen to all the time, my soul is young. And I feel great. To me, that's better than being some old stick in the mud. <laughs> and 
being an elementary school teacher, I need that energy. Yeah. I need the enthusiasm, you know, especially working with inner city kids. They're not going to give me one second to be, you know, less than my best. They need me to be that way. And, you know, the second I start to get grumpy and out of energy and feeling like I need to do something else, it's going to be time to retire. Yeah. Because, you know, they're not going to want to be around me like that. And I'm not going to be of any benefit to them like that either. Yeah. I also love Converse. I have my own custom, you know. I have to show you my collection. <laughs> I, although my favorite shoes for this is not a paid advertisement is Hoka. They make like the best walking shoes ever. Oh, really? Like if you're walking like miles on miles at parks, they're mm -hmm. so comfy. They're like five to 10 inches of just foam you're walking on. It's great. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I love actually about where I am because I live in Louisville now, which is the biggest city in Kentucky. And, you know, cultural wise, it's a complete 180 from the town I grew up in. I teach in an English as a second language school. We have 26 different languages spoken in the school. I mean, we have everybody from every walk of life. And it's just so nice to see. It's basically pretty much a school of full of if you don't fit in somewhere, Come right on in and join us. You know, we're we're a melting pot of culture. We're a melting pot of personalities. And I feel blessed to be there because I don't feel like I have to blend in. The more I stand out, the more I get to be myself, the better my teaching gets, the better I am for the kids. My administration is fully behind me and I love it. <laughs> so I'm really thankful that God put me where I am. And I'm there for a reason. I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. Okay. And that brings us to our final question, which is basically just about social media. For our listeners that are listening to this podcast this evening, where are they able to find you on the different social media outlets? If they would like to follow you, make contact with you, have any questions um so instagram tiktok youtube um and facebook will all actually at new jersey coasters just no spaces at new jersey coasters spelt out and then my twitter is nj coasters as twitter doesn't allow it to be spelt out it's too long for their handle system okay well thank you so much for sharing that contact information with our listeners I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and thank you for being my guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been great. I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks again. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.